Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this evening's public lecture hosted by the Department of Media and Communications. It's very nice to see so many of you here. My name is Terhi Rantanen, and I'm chairing this event, and I am from the Department of Media and Communications. Our speaker, Professor Castells, will speak about um, 60 minutes, and then we have half an hour for questions. Um, and um, it's my great pleasure to introduce Professor Manuel Castells, a speaker who actually does not need an introduction, because we know him so well. Um, He's widely considered the leading specialist on the age of the um, internet. We have here an author of 22 books, an editor and co-author of 21 additional books. His um, trilogy, The Information Ace, has been translati translated into over 20 languages. His latest book, Communication and Power, is published by Oxford University Press, and I have heard it is on sale here afterwards, and Professor Castells will do the signing. <laughs> but um, apart from this, um, I think um, it's the latest achievements we don't know about, and I just was told about it, is that um, Manuel Castells has last week received Erasmus Medal and it's the highest scientific award you can um, uh, receive in Europe. So um, it's a great recognition. So um, without any further introduction, I now invite the one and only uh, <laughs> Manuel Castells to deliver <laughs> his lecture on the topic of social movements in the age of the internet. The floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Rantanen, my dear friend Terry. Um, and I want to be very grateful to the uh, Department of Media Studies at the LSE, um, which is kind of a temporary home every year. <laughs> and uh, over the years, uh, Every, every year, practically, I give a lecture here, hosted uh, usually by the same department, and um, connected uh, sometimes to the launching of my books that are usually with Oxford University Press as well. Uh, so two years ago, we were launching here with uh, my publisher, editor, and friend, David Masson, who is here tonight, uh, Communication Power, um, Harbach, and today's paperback. You are, you are great luck. Um, so, uh, so it's the launching of a book, but it's, uh, it's paperback. Now, um, before I go on, I would ask you a personal favor. If you could avoid to make flash pictures um, in, while I talk. Before, after, I don't see the interest, but you can do whatever you want. Uh, <laughs> but, but not while I'm uh, talking because it simply blinds me and, and takes my concentration out. Um, thank you. <laughs> uh, so anyway, if you could please not do what you are doing now. Could you please? Uh, 
So, thank you. I, I truly appreciate it, and I hope you, you can understand that. It simply blinds me. Um, now, um, the, the book that uh, we are launching today is simply the paperback edition, and we have not uh, of the book that we launched two years ago, and therefore, to some extent, uh, would be difficult to actually uh, have already a new fully revised edition. And yet, um, what I'm going to talk today is uh, the rise of new forms of social movements, which were to some extent introduced uh, in, my, in my book and in the book that is here today, um, but since I don't do any prediction, I simply said, well, I am observing the rise of a new kind of social movements based on the ability to build autonomous communication, and uh, this is developing all over the world, and this is really changing the ways in which social movements operate and in which political systems operate. Well, now, after uh, 2011, what has happened in 2011, the non-predictive prediction um, seemed to have uh, been verified in those terms. Um, and that's what I'm doing today. I'm um, presenting to you what could be, in fact, the post-phase of communication power. Uh, however, I will start by first uh, reminding some of the basic theoretical framework on which um, uh, this analysis is predicated. And then I will um, try to um, go without details, just going into the analytical uh, elements that could be underlined uh, over what has been the process of social political mobilization in the Arab Spring, particularly in Tunisia and Egypt, um, what has been the rise and development of the uh, movement of indignance, indignados in Spain, and then what has been the uh, process through which appear, develop, and continues uh, the Occupy movement in the United States. And then I will try to have a, elaborate, propose to you a first uh, empirically based analytical synthesis of what we are learning from this movement. That's why I need 60 minutes, uh, and I need also your patience uh, to go fast over a number of things, and then we'll pick it up with, um, we'll pick it up from um, the discussion later on, if we can. The reason to accumulate three different kinds of movement is not simply to overwhelm you with information. In fact, I'm going to be able, uh, I'm going to try to limit the number of information which is descriptive. Um, but um, it's per, on deliberately trying to show how in three very different cultural and institutional context, we can find commonalities to the point that we could actually propose the hypothesis of a new species of social movements which appear to be representative of the unfolding information age. That's why I need the three contexts and underline the elements that seem to be, uh, uh, to some extent, uh, comparable uh, in, in these three contexts. Let's start with uh, the one uh, paragraph summary of uh, the analysis proposed in my book, Communication Power. The key issue here is that to, um, 
advance the notion that power relationships are the most important relationships in society because they're the foundational relationships of society for the very simple reason that those who are in power construct the institutions and norms of society around their interests and values. Uh, throughout history, this is not information age, and therefore whoever has power shapes the institution of society. Of course, the institutions of society are crystallized domination because over history different interests, different uh, values are enshrined in the institution of society, and then when these power relationships are embedded in institutions, they become uh, structures of domination. At the same time, we have to emphasize that the power is always multidimensional, not plural. It's always connection between different forms of power. But it's multidimensional, so the complexity of different uh, multidimensional power relationships uh, in the institutions of society leads to a great diversity, a great variety of uh, these institutions. Furthermore, the, if, they, if it would be one general law of society, similar to the general laws of nature. Uh, the first law of society would be the following. Wherever and whenever there is domination, there is resistance to domination. Whenever and wherever there is power, there is always counter power. That is, uh, collective processes or individual processes that uh, of those social actors whose values and interests, according to themselves, are not represented or fully represented in the institutions of society uh, and that therefore mobilize to change the state of uh, the institutions in order to have their interests and values represented. Um, and so ultimately the institution of society and therefore the framework of society where we live and our social practices are always the result of a constant interaction between power and counterpower, between um, domination and counter-domination. This, uh, and through these conflicts, through these conflicts, negotiations, always unstable agreements, is how societies are produced, reproduced, always unstable, always in conflict. There is no such a thing as a quietly uh, society, uh, well organized, harmonious forever, of the functionalist theory. Uh, such a type of human construction is usually called a cemetery. <laughs> and it happened when the, everybody gets killed, uh, which has happened in some countries. Um, so, but this this is the fundamental idea. So, second idea: where so where is power? What is power? Well, power is not the thing; it's a relationship. It's a relationship between social actors. And in terms of the historical uh, experience, power um, is exercised. You can have a huge literature, a huge literature review, and, and lots of histories, but fundamentally there are two forms of exercising power. The traditional one people think about is coercion, is the monopoly of violence, usually in the state. Uh, I would add to Max Weber's definition, legitimate or not legitimate. Um, so that's the source of, ultimately the ultimate source of power is the capacity to exercise violence. Uh, or intimidation. The intimidation that if you don't abide by what I tell you, I always can go uh, to the resort of violence. Can be through a judge, can be through the judiciary, can be through due process, or simply I kill you. 
so, but that this this is people think this is the main source of power. Well, not throughout history. There's another intellectual tradition, um, and uh, looking at the historical experience, I mean, let's say the, the Corsican tradition goes from Machiavelli to uh, uh, to uh, Max Weber and beyond. Uh, Hobbes also is there. The, the, but there's another tradition that goes from Bertrand Russell to Foucault, and to some extent in the Martian Marxist version, Gramsci and the construction of, of hegemony, uh, which really refers to the ability to shape people's minds in terms that favor the interests of the power holders. That is, if I think as you want me to think, you have tremendous power on me. Um, and that people call it persuasion, hegemony, consensus building, uh, the, 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 the construction of the apparatuses of, 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 uh, of, the, of the mental constructions uh, through the apparatuses of society, a la Foucault, uh, normalization, whatever. Ultimately, it means the capacity to shape the culture, but the culture as internalized in everybody, as uh, in terms that favor certain values and interests. Again, here, fortunately, society is not simply a uh, white page in which a, any tyrant or any uh, strategies can force people to think in a particular way. And not, we know in the media very well that the television is, uh, is a two-way uh, process of people process what they want to process in terms of their own culture, in terms of their own uh, uh, views, in terms of their own values. Uh, however, in a, in a mass media world, there's one thing people cannot do. They can reprocess all the materials. They can have their own um, construction of meaning. But what they cannot do is to process what does not exist, what is not in the media, what is not in the world which reaches our minds. So ultimately, the way in which our minds work depend on the interaction between our neural networks and the, the, the sensorial networks, including nature, through which we perceive uh, our environment, and the communication networks that process the signals from all the cultural senders in society uh, through which we build our own materials. So this interaction is what materially produces the individual state of mind and, at the same time, culture as a collective construction. Now, therefore, my argument that I have tried to document in a communication power book is that uh, the fields of power are fundamentally in the realm of, com of communication, what I call socialized communication, that is the communication that has the capacity to reach um, the, the, the entire society, the potential uh, to reach the entire society, and not simply one or a few individuals. If we argue in that, my point is that if there is, if communication, the process of communication, the process through which our minds uh, organize the experience of life, uh, the transformation of communication dramatically affects the way in which our neural networks process reality 
and organize our action and decision making. And particularly, the emotions that, as Antonio Damasio has demonstrated, the emotions that condition, shape, and lead to different forms of decision making depending on how we process what happens in reality through communication networks. So if communication is transformed organizationally, institutionally, and technologically, then the world in which we process these signals, our own minds change accordingly. And therefore, power relationships, both in terms of imposing the institutionalized power and resisting changing and altering institutionalized power on the basis of uh, social processes that counter domination, both change according to the transformation of communication. What has been the major transformation of communication? That's again something that I have detailed and documented in the book. But in a nutshell, fundamental change for me is the, the, the passage from what I call, what everybody calls mass communication to what I call mass self-communication. Mass communication, the traditional mass media, mass self-communication, basically internet and wireless communication, which um, offer the possibility of constructing autonomous networks of communication which bypass the control by governments and corporations uh, of the mass media. So social movements, political challengers always use and still use the mass media in some way. But the mass media are framed, are framed by the interests of the owners, be governments or corporations, that control the mass media. Uh, Take New York these days. Um, 26 journalists had been uh, arrested, some of them wounded, uh, by the police in New York. Um, in spite of that, because journalists are not just the mass media. Journalists are workers in the mass media. It's a different thing. But in spite of that, massively, the New York uh, media, including the New York Times, either ignore, falsify, or dismiss, even uh, ironize about the Occupy movement. Um, ridicule the movement, lie about the movement. Uh, they don't do a professional job. They do an ideological job, as most American media did with the Iraq war years ago. Uh, so not that the media lie systematically. They, they are controlled by corporate ownership and frame the, the, the information and the message according to the interests of the owners of the media, with always the possibility of and this is not, not all the media like this. In Britain, you have uh, The Guardian that has done continually investigative reporting, exposing the connections between media and, and, and government, uh, between the corporate ownership. So, uh, but the tension is always there. And in the large majority of cases, corporate ownership is about controlling which messages and how can be processed or not. Now, this is a fundamental thing because without the capacity to enter the socialized communication realm, any alternative view of society, any alternative uh, proposal of values and interests uh, becomes impossible to go through and to connect to other people and therefore to uh, overwhelm the power of the institution by the power of the numbers and by active mobilized citizenry. Then, as we know, the advent of the internet and the wireless communication has 
fundamentally disintermediated the control of communication and information. Not completely, not entirely, but fundamentally people can connect to each other, diffuse their messages, um, take a mo with a mobile phone any picture and upload it in YouTube and constantly being able to communicate regardless of the controls that are established on their communication networks. In other words, they have constructed an alternative uh, society on the basis of these networks. As I will explain in a moment, this does not mean that, uh, that um, uh, people are free, and it does not mean that it only happens in the internet. It is a hybrid space in which the public space constructed in the internet networks connect to the public space in the cities, in the, earth, in the squares, in the streets, and this is this interaction. The internet public space with the urban space, this hybrid space which connects what I call the space of flows with what I call the space of places, this is the public space that is being constantly redefined and occupied by the new social movements. Um, let me then go into specific analysis of three processes that um, propose in practice, not in theory, propose in practice a new form of social movement. Let me just one conceptual definition. I differentiate um, political movements or politic from social movements. In practice, they mix all the time, but it's conceptually important. Political movements are movements that are aiming at uh, the state, at the ceasing or transformation of power within the state under the institutional conditions that exist in that state. Not, not at the destruction of the state. That's a different thing. That, that, that's, a, that's called a revolution. But political movements are movements that try to intervene into the political sphere. Uh, advancing policy proposals, changing the government, let's say the Obama campaign, for instance. Right? Um, social movements throughout history, and this is not in the internet age, are collective actions that um, are aiming at transforming the values of society, the way people think. Uh, the environmental movement, new forms of the relationship between nature and culture, the women movement, uh, transformation of the way women consider themselves, and therefore the beginning of another action and the transformation of the gender relationships, uh, calling into question patriarchalism as the most important uh, historic structure of society, um, but also religious movements. So, in other words, social movements, by the way, are not only nice, cute social movements, can be terrible social movements, fundamentally social movements, abolishing people's uh, rights and everything, but is always change, focusing on the transformation of the values of society. People were thinking like this, let's try to see if people can think otherwise. And sometimes are, uh, they have some connection with the institution, sometimes not. So, what uh, and sometimes start as, as social movements and very quickly become political movements and, and vice versa. What we have witnessed in 2011 is three processes in which the ability to seize horizontal communication networks have transformed the possibility of um, the, um, what the, the students 
sorry, the, the, the social activists had been able to, um, uh, to do because of their ability to seize new communication technologies as the beginning of their uh, protest. Let's talk about the, the Arab revolutions. There is the typical process, of course, starts with a background of oppression, exploitation, daily humiliation. This has been there for decades without the possibility for individuals or groups of social revolt to challenge the dictatorship. There have been many social revolts. They have been crushed in blood, one after another. So social movement didn't wait for the internet. What I'm trying to argue is that we have seen the transformation of power relationships and the possibility of a, a mass insurgency supported by new forms of communication. Typically, what happens, uh, and again, all this has been reported in the media, so we can discuss detail later, but uh, I'm going to focus on the analytical uh, elements. What Typically, what happens, there is spark of indignation, spark that touches emotions deeply and triggers indignation. Indignation is transformed into rage. From rage to action, there is a key mechanism, which is to overcome fear. As the theory of affective intelligence has shown us in political communication, the fear is the most potent human emotion of the six basic human emotions. Uh, fear uh, is a paralyzing emotion. You are paralyzed by fear. Um, by the way, why is such a foundational uh, emotion? Because um, according to some people in the neuroscientific field, the hypothesis is this is part of the uh, evolution of, of the human species because uh, those who were not fearful, those who were um, fearless, didn't run fast enough and were eaten up by the beasts. Uh, so we are all heirs of cowards. Um, only the cowards survive. Um, and, and therefore, we have uh, this, this implant in our brains, be careful, be very careful. Mama said, be very careful. Um, so what the what the, the um, mechanism to overcome fear has always been is to um, share the fear with others and to overcome fear by togetherness and in emotional terms when you go uh, from fear to rage through togetherness and from rage, you develop a collective action that then, in the practice of verification of this action, triggers something much more important, which is hope and enthusiasm, which are mobilizing, mobilizing emotions. Hope comes from the possibility seen that in other experiences, what you wish to happen actually happen. Enthusiasm comes from the moment in which togetherness becomes a sentiment of we can do it, yes, we can do it, uh, by seeing 
that what happened before for others can happen here for us if there, there is a construction of the us, of the movement, which is significantly uh, collective and through horizontal uh, relationship. Now, you know how this happened. What happened is started um, in, in, the, in Tunisia and started with spark of indignation. Steve Bender, Mohamed Wasisi uh, was uh, uh, immolated himself uh, by, in order not to be, uh, because he was not able to stand the local the, the continuous humiliation from the local police constantly. Images were immediately uh, uploaded into YouTube. Repression came in. Uh, Al Jazeera played an important role because Al Jazeera was in 40% of the Tunisian homes, and therefore uh, Al Jazeera established a system in which uh, citizen journalists, people could upload to, uh, to their mobile phones to YouTube, and from there would go to Al Jazeera. But Al Jazeera also beam a special uh, program, uh, satellite images that could be received directly in the mobile phone. So it was a, a feedback loop in terms of the communication system that, that took place. The calls to mobilize were in the internet social networks. Why? Because this was easier than to do it in the streets, first of all. But the calls were not to fight on the internet, were to fight, debate, organize in Facebook groups and, and, and organize Twitter networks, but ultimately to go into the street to fight uh, what uh, was perceived as the dictatorship of Ben Ali for such a long time. Uh, you know the origin in Tunisia. You also know that uh, the spread came from Tunisia to Egypt. Uh, the first demonstrations in Egypt, the slogan was um, Tunisia is the solution, which is interesting because it directly confronted the traditional uh, slogan, Islam is the solution. And that meant that the movement, there were very strong components of Islamists in the movement, but the movement clearly from the very beginning tried to be a broad socio-political movement with religious and non-religious people, religious and secular, uh, with for the end of the dictatorship and the opening up of a democratic process in which everybody, of course including the Islamists, could express themselves. And that's exactly what um, also happened in Tunisia. Uh, today it's... Uh, we know that, in fact, the, a moderate Islamist party has uh, overwhelmingly won the election. Uh, I have been following Rachid Ganucci for a long, long time. In my book, The Power of Identity, published in 1997, there's a whole paragraph about Ganucci, uh, citing him as, as uh, arguing that Islamism uh, was the way to modernity for the society that had been rooted in Islam, not at all a reactionary movement backwards. Um, so anyway, uh, the opening up of the, of the political system came in Tunisia from this movement. In Egypt, I will go a little bit more into uh, quick detail in, in, in Egypt. Um, in, in Egypt, because I have studied concretely, um, the social networks were crucial again. And the most important element is to consider that Egypt had already a long tradition of social struggles, and particularly working class struggles. Uh, but they had been crushed all the time. Most importantly, in 2008, April 6, 
uh, was a general strike in the um, textile uh, industrial city uh, north of Cairo, El Mahal, El Kubra, uh, in which after several days in which the city was occupied, the army came in and massacred um, hundreds of workers. Um, after which the uh, clandestine movement started, the uh, youth, the 6th of April youth movement. Uh, that was the, one of the first groups that, after Tunisia showed the possibility, called for mobilization over the internet, organizing Facebook group, uh, etc. So uh, there is a continuity. There is a continuity. But the difference is that uh, the organization of something directly on the internet for the population as a whole and and with the possibility of other people coming in and joining in, uh, transformed the character of the movement and made it much more difficult to repress it. Other individuals acted, also calling the internet in January uh, uh, 2011. One of the best known is Vail Ganim, uh, a Google executive, but by himself was uh, absolutely outraged by what was happening in, in terms of the repression in Egypt and saw the possibility in Tunisia and launched an appeal on the internet. He became an um, unwilling hero because he was arrested and disappeared and uh, people started to look for him and call his name uh, until he was actually f finally uh, freed. But the most important thing is with the, the video that uh, mid-April, sorry, mid-January uh, 2011, a woman uh, by herself, um, Asma Mahfouz, uh, issued on YouTube calling for the uh, insurgency of, of the people by going into the streets exactly April 25th. That did, she did, uh, she made uh, four vlogs, meaning a video of herself, and uh, uploaded uh, into her Facebook page, and from there was taken to the uh, YouTube by number of people. And was an individual call, an individual call about uh, why we could tolerate what's going on. Tunisia, this has happened, we can do it. That came to be known as the video that sparked the Egyptian revolution. Um, interestingly enough, she uh, used irony and she used arguments such as, well, some people say that um, Women, we should not participate in this because uh, we are going to be beaten up. Um, so I call on my um, men, friends, that they would please come with us to the streets to protect the girls. Um, uh, which, of course, at the same time was ironic, but at the same time, work. It was a, a one of the, of the appeals that was most powerful. So, we have a number of instances uh, that we can actually detect uh, the origin of the calls that ultimately converge into um, uh, the demonstrations that started in January 2000, uh, in January uh, 25th of January 2011, and then uh, you know the, the rest of the story. But I want to emphasize uh, something. Uh, first of all, oh, a little footnote. We have now a lot of empirical material on the matter. A lot of empirical material. Uh, the main direct source that I can, can, I can give you is uh, I, I'm co-editing with my colleague uh, Larry Gross, a journal 
an online journal, um, International Journal of Communication, we generated a special issue on the Arab Spring, uh, which uh, you have, uh, so the, you can find it in igoc.org. Uh, we have published 17 uh, empirical studies on the Arab Revolution, with very detailed studies, very calculated studies, including a, a mathematical study on the tweets that emerge between the different squares uh, in the different places, particularly in Egypt, uh, with the conclusion that, uh, and the title, the Arab Revolution were indeed tweeted. Uh, it, it can be shown the flows of tweets and how this was connected. Of course, it was not the cause, but it was an essential instrument of self-organization. Um, what there are a couple of things which are important to consider. First of all, the key connection was between these networks in the internet and the urban space, and the formation in um, Tahrir Square of uh, a um, community. Tahrir Square was not about organizing any resistance, any armed resistance. It was about creating a community. Which, by the way, women and their children were very important. Uh, the fact of a community means two things. In urban space, people know each other. They start organizing themselves, they, so they create sort of a counter uh, society free. So they liberate the space, they occupy space. They occupy space. And it's interesting to know that the first movements in Spain and then the first in New York. The first public space they occupied, they call it Tahrir Square. It's a conscious, direct connection uh, in terms of the way to operate. You start in the internet, you build on the internet these networks of solidarity, and then you go and create a community in the urban space because it's visible then for society, it's visible for the media, people start to learn each other, and then you constantly establish an interaction, a debate that goes in this urban space, face to face, and in the internet, and constantly uh, interacts. Um, the other point I want to mention about Egypt. There was repression, huge repression. Well, now it continues. But I'm talking about the moment the, moment the, the movement um, was able to at least uh, take Mubarak down. Uh, there was, as, as you know, bloody repression. Uh, there was an attempt by, by by the police to break up the, the whole movement. And it was also, for the first time in history, uh, even Iran did not do it before, uh, an attempt to cut off entirely the country from the internet. That failed. After five days, it was restored, for a number of reasons. But the first one is it was not working. Technically, it was not working. Even if they cut off 93% of the traffic, not 100, but 93%. Um, but immediately there were a number of connections that were reestablished um, in, in Egypt and between Egypt and the world. There is such a thing as a community of internet fighters that immediately mobilizes on, on each country. And then they find all kinds of ways to connect. Examples. Uh, Interestingly enough, the companies, uh, Google and, and, and Twitter, created a, um, a speak-to-tweet system 
in which from a landline phone in Egypt you could call uh, and or from a smartphone uh, using a smartphone as a modem uh, you could call and then this would go into an answering machine in Paris or in, 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 in Stockholm from where uh, then the message was automatically transformed into a tweet that would be beamed back in Egypt. Um, another interesting uh, measure, uh, the, the, the National Network of Hackers Telecomics uh, designed a system in which, uh, designed a program in which the same kind of calls, messages through landlines that went into a landline phone somewhere else, uh, then the program would find automatically all the facts, all the numbers of all the fax machines in Egypt. And the program then would be, the, the message would be transformed into a fax and going into all the faxes in Egypt. Of course, Mubarak got a lot of them, uh, the, the, the police got a lot of them, but that's not clandestine messages. That's simply for people to be able to relate to each other. And of course the police knows where people connect, where they're, they're going. The problem is that people don't know. The police does. Uh, so um, uh, a number of, of these uh, networks were restored. Uh, some people said, well, yeah, but there's a minority of people that have, um, that have internet in Egypt. Well, this is one of the most um, misleading statements. The penetration of um, internet in Egypt is about 24%, 24, 25 uh, but this is counting everybody. But if you go into the age group 16 to 40 in Cairo and Alexandria, it's 65%. And that's what really counts the demographics of the people who were there ready to mobilize, not the remote village. That comes later, but the original movement comes from the people who are connected to the internet using cyber cafes, using schools, internet, using everything. Second thing, mobile penetration. Mobile penetration in Egypt, uh, in terms of numbers, not devices, numbers, is 85% of the population. And that's where the horizontal networks are immediately created. So, the great, what I call the great disconnection did not work technically and stop after five days for three reasons. First, uh, it was too expensive, over $120 million a day of losses for the Egyptian economy. Second, there was some pressure from the United States. Um, third, and most important, the movement was already in the streets. So in other words, if you cut off internet when they are it's already form a number of urban networks, urban sites that are occupied, etc. you cannot stop the movement. You can try to repress the movement, but at that time, the media are there, satellite televisions are there, and the repression is going to be very costly. Furthermore, a movement organized about the internet, and this is another characteristic that goes uh, all over the place, is has no heads, no leaders. Therefore, it has no head, you cannot cut the head. Uh, and the networks reproduce themselves constantly. There were many people who were political, many people who were ideological, religious, etc. But there was no leader, no leader, and any attempt to become a leader would be put down immediately by the movement itself. So either you have to send in the tanks, which Syria did, uh, or uh, you have 
to find ways to negotiate with the movement. And that's what really ultimately happened there in other places. Once the movement forces a negotiation, then the internal cohesion of the elites disappears, and then the army starts thinking, well, this old dictator uh, is too expensive, too costly for what we like to do, which is to preserve our corrupt business as an army. So let's start moving out of this dictatorship and to new forms of domination. So it's never complete liberation. It continues. It continues. But it continues also from the part of the movement. The indigenous movement in Spain started much as a direct political critique of the political system in Spain and in Europe at large. Uh, started by was started by a small group in Madrid, uh, Real Democracy Now, uh, that uh, in February started to organize some uh, debates and demonstrations uh, on the upcoming municipal elections on May 22nd. Uh, and during the electoral campaign, they um, call attention on the matter that in the middle of a tremendous crisis with 45% youth unemployment, 21% general employment, uh, the Spanish economy collapsing, all the parties were simply accusing each other of the crisis and of everything, fighting each other, killing each other with no real debate about any policy to deal with the crisis or with people's life. So there was such a spontaneous outrage in the population at large that when this group called over the internet, no organization, a bunch of people, I know them, uh, 20 people at most in, in the whole country, call on the internet, you know, enough is enough. Let's demonstrate one week before the municipal elections to denounce all these empty uh, speeches, all these uh, politics as usual in the middle of all the suffering of the country. No organization, no support of anyone. There were tens of thousands of people in all the major cities, Madrid, Barcelona, etc., etc., in each one of the cities. Um, at the end of the uh, demonstration, a group of people in Madrid, a group of people in Barcelona, 30 in Madrid, 20 in Barcelona, uh, decided to stay in the main square of the city to start to continue the discussion about what to do. Okay, we have denounced. Now what? So let's reconstruct politics. Let's start from the very beginning. Uh, so they sat down for the whole night, slept on the pavement, um, and then they started to tweet. So the following day there were a few hundred who started to tweet. And the following day there were thousands with no direct purpose except to reconstruct democracy more on the process than on the outcome. So let's not do the same thing that everybody does, to now have a political party, an ideology, a leadership. No. We don't know what we actually want, except that we don't want that. We don't want that. That that is basically two things. Um, we don't want to pay for the crisis that was created by the banks. The banks should pay. And we are not represented by the politicians, by any party, by any party. Um, see, these are the, the two main elements in which everybody converges. And then what? Uh, I like two 
banners. I have analyzed the different banners of the movement and so on. I like particularly two banners. One that says, it is not a crisis, is that I don't love you any longer. And the other, which was really placed in front of the main square in Barcelona, was we are, we are slow because we go far. Uh, meaning, this is a process. Let's start. It's not going to end next week. It's not going to end next month. Start. And how we start? Well, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, and that's where the idea of assemblies as the elements of discussion and debate appear. So each assembly decides something by vote of the people who are in this assembly after three, four hours of discussion. A any assembly the following day can reverse the decision. So it's an assembly uh, process of decision making. No leaders. Anyone who is uh, presented or wants to present herself or himself as a leader is immediately rejected by the movement. No spokespersons. The journalists go crazy. Every time they try to interview, uh, say, well, that's my personal opinion, but I don't represent anyone. So who represents you? No one. But it works. Uh, it expands. And that's the important thing to consider, that all this apparently inefficient model actually expands and attracts and brings more and more people into the movement and more and more support in the public opinion. Currently, in Spain, 73% of people in Spain agree with the uh, critiques and proposals of the movement. 73%. Um, in, in terms of the recent survey research, 20% uh, have followed the movement of the population, of the entire population, had followed the movement uh, in the internet, and 9% have actually participated in demonstrations, which is literally hundreds of thousands over a period of several months. Every time that seems that, no, no, it's going to die, it's not going to continue, how they can, well, they invent some new campaigns, some actions. They have local campaigns, mainly to oppose evictions, Hundreds and hundreds of evictions had been of people who cannot pay mortgages had been stopped because of the intervention of the movement, and some judges are sympathetic. So there is a, a, a continuous pressure in that sense. Um, and in, in other cases, there are um, specific actions, neighborhood by neighborhood, uh, in different working places, and from time to time, a central demonstration. One of the key central demonstrations was on October 15. That was on a global scale. That was decided in a small meeting of uh, different networks of activists in Barcelona in early September uh, that uh, decided to globalize uh, the, uh, the struggle on, on one slogan, very simple, United for Global Change, period. Now, constantly the criticism to the Spanish movement is um, well, to Spanish, another similar movement. Uh, well, what they want? Uh, they don't have a program. They don't have leadership. They don't have an organization. And the point is, this is not the question. This is not the question. They are not a political party. They don't want to be a political party. They don't want a formal leadership. They are experimenting. They, what the only thing they know is that this political system doesn't work. That 
constantly reproduces the, the defects that they had been denounced before. So they are experimenting and they are trying to find other forms which are different toward the future. They have something else. They have the internet. Because the combination of, again, local assemblies with constant deliberation on the internet is a combination that allows coordination, debate, deliberation, and some people are calling this network utopia, uh, meaning the fact that you need no government, not formal apparatus, no bureaucracy, you can go directly into that. Now, it's, utopia is utopia, but utopia is nothing. It's not nothing. Utopia is not nothing. Utopias are material forces. All the major political transformation and social models of society had started with utopias. The liberal utopia, the anarchist utopia, the social utopia, even the communist utopia, that then, of course, never realize themselves, but they make a lot of uh, uh, movement through the moment of incarnating themselves into the process of collective action. The Occupy Wall Street movement was fundamental one, is a fundamental one, uh, but it also connects to all these other movements. It started with, in terms of the specific reasons of the American uh, uh, crisis and the American society. But it, it helps to know how it actually started. It actually started with a call in July uh, by a Vancouver-based um, journal, Adbuster, uh, that is a cultural journal, of, a critique of advertising, of commercial advertising, which, uh, in connection with other movements in the world, decided why we don't um, occupy Wall Street on September 17th to protest against one thing, the direct connection between Wall Street and politics, specifically. And why September 17th is the day of the American Constitution. So it's again like the real democracy movement in Spain saying, look, we have the uh, government structure. The same Wall Street guys or similar types that Clinton had in his cabinet in key position, Bush had in his cabinet in key position, Obama had in, in his cabinet in the same position. So government changed. Republicans, Democrats, uh, progressive Democrats like Obama, but Wall Street is always there controlling everything. So I'm not saying, if I would have to do a sociopolitical analysis of the power elite, I would be a little bit more nuanced and trying to see. But the perception, for some strong reasons, is that anyway, the banks are supported when they have problems, people are not supported, and Wall Street uh, leaders are always in the command positions. So to the, the main demand of the movement is to untie this connection and then work on behalf, immediately they found the, 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 the other name. Spain, they call themselves ultimately the indignant uh, in Occupy Wall Street. Uh, in fact, they call themselves now the 99%. Because, of course, we know that 1% of Americans control 20% of the assets and determine what happens to the other 99% anyway. So. They, they started to be the 99%. Therefore, you cannot have a socio-political or ideological program or perspective if you are trying to represent the 
because that's such a broad, uh, uh, such a broad perspective that everybody can join. Anyone who is uh, upset, outraged, uh, revolted by what's happening from his or her own reasons can join. Joins and then the debate starts. Then the debate starts and we'll see and then there are specific actions, specific problems, but then much more important than that is a major element of deliberative democracy, uh, which ultimately has brought the support of about 60% of the American population. 60% of the population thinks that the movement is right, that in fact that the movement represents the view of the majority of Americans. There are all kinds of polls going on all the time in this. And to the great uh, fury of the media, constantly there is approval for what the movement says. Now, danger. The danger is the delegitimation of all these movements by violence. This is the problem in Spain. It was on the edge of that. That's why the movement very strongly uh, has had one of the few principles is non-violence. However, there is a debate in the movement. There is a debate. A small fraction, a small minority of people are still thinking that, well, if you're beaten up, you're going to fight back. Uh, uh, the majority of the movement think that that's the killer. If, if they can be associated with violent scenes that immediately the television uh, will uh, show because that's what really is nice footage uh, from the television point of view, uh, the movement is finished. The same thing in, um, in, in the Occupy Wall Street movement. Uh, until now, violence has been so much always from the side of uh, the police, and particularly the university police. Uh, look at the video on, of UC Davis these days about some savage aggression of the UC Davis police, University of California and Davis police against the peaceful demonstrators, you will see. Uh, in the one case in which some kind of violence from a small fraction of uh, black bloc people in Oakland, the movement itself blocked the violence, the movement itself cleaned the graffiti, uh, restored the, the, the damage and, and, and openly went to the public opinion to rectify uh, this violent attitude. Um, important in both cases, Spain and Occupy Wall Street, there is a cross section of the population. These are not simply young, as the people say, young kids, students, rich students. No, absolutely not. Of course, people who sleep in the pavement usually are young. It's hard. It's very hard to spend the whole night there. So all bones don't take it. Uh, but it doesn't mean that, that uh, uh, there's no uh, uh, much broader representation of population. Many old people. A huge amount of uh, support comes from veterans in the United States. And the, the one serious um, injury in the demonstrations of um, Oakland was Scott Olsen, a Marine. And this actually movement occupied the Marines, run by Marines themselves, to provide tactical support to the movement. Uh, Every disaffected people anywhere in the United States goes into some occupy something, occupy my street, occupy the 34th street. And so it's not only occupy cities, occupy institutions, occupy my 34th street. Uh, three weeks ago I was at MIT uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, the, that day occupied Harvard. Yesterday I was in Cambridge, England, 
Yesterday occupied one building in Cambridge. Uh, so it's, it, it goes on and on and on because the sources of the disaffection are there and because the uh, way of doing it is so simple. You launch on the internet, you debate on the internet, then you go into a space and when you are in the space you create a web, a web of the occupation, a web of the place. So it's not, a, not going only on Facebook, on YouTube, no, you create your own web that becomes then connected to a network of webs around the country, around the world. At this point, they are uh, the latest, I follow this day by day, uh, yesterday were 2,700 occupations uh, known in Europe and the United States. Uh, 2,700 occupations of some kind. Um, and it spreads, it constantly spreads. Now, what is the, which are some elements, and I will finish with that, which synthetically, can give um, a commonality of what's happening in, in, in the different movements. I go into a quick, simply headlines. First, they are instant on the basis of a spark of indignation everywhere. Second, they are multimodal. The uses of images on the internet is essential. They impact constantly. Everybody with his, her uh, mobile phone it's a key reporter, a key organizer, and much more important, the holder of a defense weapon. Defense weapon. Constantly filming and uploading the images of those who repress, of those who do something else, of those who, like in Wall Street, uh, when demonstrators were uh, passing in the street, the Wall Street managers would open their balconies and have lavish um, dining tables with uh, champagne and were toasting, uh, saying we are the one, the one percent. Uh, so of course, immediately they they got uh, photographed. And when people, uh, when some people do nasty things like this policeman at UC Davis, anonymous, which is always back in the movement, immediately detects the telephone numbers, email numbers, and address of this policeman and brings it into the web. So it is a new form of. Uh, constant struggle always at the level of um, the street and at the level of the web. They are horizontal networks, unselective, and therefore they induce trust and solidarity among peers. They horizontalize immediately the struggle. The fact that there are no leaders means that everybody is a leader and everybody is responsible. They disintermediate formal leadership affected by the legitimacy crisis, and therefore they stimulate cooperation and reciprocity. Again, this is empirical observation from the network of researchers that we have created. By the way, there is a network now called Occupy Research, um, which, which both does research on the occupation and occupies research wherever they can. They are viral. They diffuse fast. They are expansive. They cannot be controlled because they have no center and they reconfigure the networks endlessly. When and if they reach legitimacy in society at large, which is the case of all these movements, then police repression comes in, but this strengthens the movement. Every instance of repression strengthens the movement. is responded by more thousands of people coming to demonstrate. They are local and global at the same time. They are constantly self-reflective. 
They are always asking questions about themselves, about the world, about everything. It's constant self-reflection. It's a constant university style. Even if they are not university students, they can connect with places and spatial networks, and they have this constant interaction between flows in the internet and, and places. They form a public space, a new form of hybrid public space, which is both cyberspace and urban space. They cannot focus on one task or project because they, can, they cannot be instrumental without being co-opted by political parties that are deeply distrusted. But political parties, depending on what they do, may take advantage, may profit in one way or another of the change in public opinion that these movements are generating. For instance, the Spanish socialists tried at the last minute to say, we will do all this. Come on. You have been eight... eight years in power and did the opposite, who can, you're not credible anymore. But Obama is trying to see if he can be saved at the last minute by the battalions of the movement. Um, so there are social movements. There are social movements, not political agents. They are changing the values of society, but they can also be public opinion movements in elections, and in that sense, they are also, to some extent, political insurgency movements that argue for democracy and for representation, but they are not programmatic and not instrumental. They are aiming, in fact, at transforming the state, but not at seizing the state. But they are very political in a fundamental sense. This is when they propose and practice direct deliberative democracy based on network democracy, what I call the utopia, utopia of a network democracy. I could have gone all, all the many other movements that uh, have happened, are happening, and which are, we are investigated in a network of researchers. Uh, Israel has had the largest mobilization in Israeli history for their own causes, but still the process was exactly the same. Um, the um, movements around Europe, in Italy, the whole Berlusconi fell for a number of reasons. This is not the main reason, but uh, the main reason were the markets. But uh, some changes in Italy, particularly the elections, local elections in Milano and Naples and Torino, were linked clearly to the movement with the beginning of the erosion of the power of Berlusconi. But perhaps the most interesting uh, movement in that sense is the precursor of all these movements. The first demonstration in Spain, remember the first in Egypt was Tunisia is the solution. The first demonstration in Spain, in Spain was Iceland is the solution. Interestingly, little Iceland. So what Iceland did is that basically let the, the, the banks uh, bankrupt uh, throughout the government, try, put the prime minister on trial, he's going probably to go into jail. Um, and decided to scrap the political system and create a new constitution. And how they are currently creating the new constitution? Well, a committee of 25 independent people were created to start drafting. Then this went into deliberation with 800 citizens randomly selected, randomly selected, and they proposed a text. And this text in the last six months has, is being discussed by the entire Icelandic population over the internet. 
Yes, okay, they are 300,000, but they are not... <laughs> but you still, it's not like three, they are 300,000, and they are doing all that. Um, so, in other words, there is a process which is unlimited possibilities and which is opening up uh, the, the, uh, the, the transformation of what is fundamentally a political crisis. Uh, and by the way, the Islamic economy, very good, thanks very much. Um, it's, uh, the, the, they devalued the currency 40%, so exports are dramatically up, fishing and tourism, and they're going at 3%, and they, they, they control the banks. Hmm. <laughs> so, internet, we know, through empirical research, they presented here last year, is a platform for autonomy and for the culture of autonomy. And when societies fail in managing their structural crisis by the current institutions, then change can only take place out of the system by the transformation of power relationships. Although then has to connect with transformation within the system. But the starting point is outside the system. This transformation of power relationships starts in people's minds and develops in the form of networks built by the project of new actors that aim at constituting themselves as the subjects of a new history in the making. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Professor Castells, uh, for this very interesting um, lecture. Uh, we have 18 minutes for well, questions, since um, LSC um, has given me these instructions. These instructions, the event must end by 8 a.m. So um, we have to um, do that. Um, but um, I would like now to invite questions from you, and I'm also reminded that we don't want to have another lecture from you. We only want to have a question, and you should wait for the microphone, and you should give your name and where you come from. Look, yeah, one second. Gentleman. Hey, boss, I, I wait to take notes and then answer to everybody together. Okay. So, no, you, you, you tell me, you tell me. Okay, cluster of questions. I take five people and you answer. Okay. Is that okay? There was a gentleman over there. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Joel. I'm from Canada. Thanks very much for being here this evening. It's a very stimulating talk. Um, my question is, I, I want to know your thoughts on the Great Firewall of China and uh, maybe how successful they are, the authorities, or will be in the future. Got it. And then there was another gentleman over there. I'm coming gradually to that direction. Hello, Etienne, Mexican and lecturer in, in UCL. I want to know what's your view on the issue of the governance of the Internet. It is a very uh, complex structure, and I think so far the dominant players in, in actually governing the Internet haven't been attacked. And so what's the risk for the future? Okay, then there's a gentleman over there. Um, I think you were with a grey shirt or blackish shirt. Um, thank you. Um, hi, my name is Donica DeLong. I'm a trade union activist. wonder how you'd answer the argument that's been put forward by people like uh, Graeber and uh, Richard Day 
that in fact the technology is allowing a movement that was around 100 years ago, it's actually making it possible. Uh, particularly some of the tactics. If you take the technology out, it, you could describe the in industrial workers of the world, the CNT, and many of the other syndicalist movements of 100 years ago in the same terms, leaderless, using assemblies, occupying space. And that it, the, the argument is that the technology has allowed this, to made this possible, but it hasn't actually created a completely new movement. Okay. I would like to um, give a voice to a female participant. Um, over there, at the back. Thank you. Hello, thank you very much. My name is Anna Havernen. I'm from uh, Finland, PhD student. And I would like to ask, um, what is your opinion if um, at the age of, of apartheid or holocaust, uh, would have those disasters, those annihilations happened at the age of internet? And then um, there is a gentleman wearing a white shirt over there. And I think if academics can only count to three, and I think we have five questions now. So, uh. Hello, I'm Richard from Poland City University now. Um, uh, I really like the idea of introducing cognitive science to um, social sciences, especially communication sciences. Only I have one little problem, and I would like to ask a question about that. Because internet communication is a different mode of communication than face-to-face -face communication, and it provides different stimuli uh, to our sensory system. And according to your theory, uh, the neural structures responsible for emotional communication are mirror neurons. And I want to ask you if the internet, and I think it doesn't, doesn't provide the same stimuli as face-to-face -face communication, how it can be a basis of emotional communication, especially in part of creating the feeling of togetherness. Thank you. Thank you. So um, I will be quick in the answers, as, as you were in the questions. Um, Firewall of China. Um, my Chinese hacker friend says it's a paper tiger, um, meaning that it's uh, uh, technically very easy to escalate if you have a minimum level of competence. Um, the, the, the issue is that, um, of course, most uh, Chinese people don't, don't do it, don't have this level of competence, but the problem also is that most Chinese people don't use the Internet for political purposes uh, because the, the movement for democracy is a very small and very restricted movement and poses no danger when they, there was a, the attempt of the Jasmine Revolution uh, in China in last January imitating the Arab Revolution. Um, there were many more... Uh, undercover policemen in the sites of the demonstration than demonstrators. Um, now, we have worked a lot on, 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 on China, the internet in China. There are many publications, our research group, etc. What I would say is that um, the, uh, the, it's, it's literally impossible to control all the messages going on in the internet because how they do that? Trillions of messages, trillions of everything. They do by robots, okay? And robots go by... Um, um, keywords and so the Chinese people who really want to connect they never use the dirty words like democracy, Tiananmen uh, Tibet, uh, Taiwan etc etc. You should be crazy to use these words. So ultimately the control as much as people say is not so effective what happens is they surveil they can surveil 
and they can punish, but they don't control the flow. Uh, more concretely, the message, the, the messenger is caught and punished. The message still goes on. You know, that's the big difference. Now, if you are the messenger, that's a little problem. <laughs> but if you are the message, do you just go on and live eternally? Um, so uh, the main reason why internet is not, uh, the, sorry, why internet is not fostering uh, Chinese democratic revolution that there is no such a thing as Chinese democratic revolution. What is going on in China is a much more serious thing, which is class struggles in the countryside, in the factories, in the cities, and that's where things are happening in terms of the most traditional forms of class opposition against the wild uh, barbarian industrialization, and the same way that happened in Britain in the 19th century. Governance of the internet. Um, here again, the internet itself as a network, it reconfigures itself all the time, and, and any attempt to really uh, bring it under any governance structure constantly fails. And the United Nations has tried many times, on behalf of the governments, to build a control governance structure, and it's not working. It's um, uh, the, the best, uh, the internet grew under total freedom with, in the 1980s and 90s, early 90s, with a very simple structure of governance. One person. His name was Jean Postel. Was a professor of engineering at USC who had taken upon himself to assign domain names. He was a great guy. He didn't he got a grant from the NSF, but no salary for him, no nothing, and everybody trusted him. So he he just assigned domain names and it worked. It worked with no problem until he died from cancer at age fifty-five. And then became a mess. How can you replace it? A reliable person with something different. The something different was first the Commerce Department in the United States, and then people started to say, well, Commerce Department is the United States, why so? And then France objected, and Russia objected, and everybody started to object, and finally the whole thing was ICANN, and ICANN is elected, but it's not really elected, and so it's a mess, um, and nobody cares. Um, really, nobody cares about who governs the Internet for what and why. Uh, because the internet goes on by itself, and people use it, and the problem for the internet is not the governance structure of the internet, is the attempt to control the internet by breaking net neutrality by the big corporate owners of the pipes of the networks and by the media uh, conglomerates. This is what is real danger for the internet, and this is an ongoing struggle, uh, and this is not going to be solved by the governance structure, whatever governance we come up with. Um, of course, you are absolutely right that uh, uh, social movements did not have to, to wait for uh, the technology. And hundreds of years ago and 200 years ago, people were occupying, were creating communities in space, and were using networks of communication and information. As I started by saying that the control of information and communication throughout history has been absolutely essential for uh, the, the, to, in, to impose power. And the counterpower has always been on creating alternative networks of information and communication. Absolutely. The question then is not that one. Uh, the question is what is new and specific of the fact that 
now and from now on forever, the forms of social mobilization, collective action, etc., uh, are based on the internet, first of all. Uh, this is going to be a permanent feature. All the movements, all the protests, all mobilizations of all sides are uh, constructed around the internet. So which are the specific effects of this horizontal networking, of this lack of a command and control center, of this uh, constant ability to relate to each other and to the hypertext without impediment? Which are the specific effects of this on the dynamics of social movement? So it's not just a tool. Is an organizational form, is a cultural logic that has to be investigated, not declared one way or another simply because people don't know what it is. The Holocaust, well, I'm against, I mean, and I think that uh, uh, it was uh, one of the most barbarian acts uh, ever in history, and for me, the, the, the critical point is how we make sure we do not create the conditions for another Holocaust. Um, uh, for instance, of people in Finland who are not the true Finns, uh, if the true Finns come to power. Um, uh, because uh, what's going on in Europe is a tremendous xenophobic movement, particularly in the nice, cute Scandinavian democracies, and, and uh, in, in the Netherlands, in other uh, greatly civilized countries, uh, much more than in the uh, peaks in the, in the southern countries. Um, and that's a problem, because remember uh, how Nazism and the Holocaust and all this came on the, on the uh, footsteps of a, a major economic crisis, crisis of political legitimacy, irresponsible political class. So the stage is set for right, extreme right-wing populist movements with a strong xenophobic racist component coming even into government by vote as Hitler did. Uh, and in that sense, this uh, apparently naive innocent uh, Occupy movement, indignant movement, is the only, the only grassrooted process that is taking place against the barbarianism that uh, spreads in society with the indifference of a political elite that has one only concern, how to keep things going as they were, because that's their vested interest. Then, um, about the the specificity on feelings of the internet face to face. Well, look, we are not living in a in a world which is exclusively uh, virtual or exclusively uh, face to face. It's both constantly. Our lives are both in the internet and face to face constantly, um, and therefore all our connections are the the interaction between the two. Now, how much? Uh, the, it has been studied which are the emotions and the links that um, are stronger in the internet or face to face. Of course, there are face to face links are stronger. Uh, but uh, in the internet can be maintained. And also, if you don't have the possibility of linking face to face with the person you want to link, and you can link in the internet for other reasons, then it becomes much more effective in the internet. So emotionally, um, the internet provides an alternative uh, when you cannot uh, operate face-to-face. -face. Of course, face-to-face, -face, because of the bandwidth, let's say, of human interaction, is much broader face-to-face -face than in the internet, even with hypertext or whatever you, you want, of course, is much more uh, directly connected to arousing 
feelings, intense feelings, emotions, etc. However, you should not forget about the wave of love relationships in the internet, uh, which are sweeping the world, particularly because they don't know exactly the other person face to face. Not the identity. They say, it's, a, it's a complete false statement that the majority of all these things in the internet are fake identities. No. I mean, in many cases, you have to declare your identity. No, no. It's real identities, but identity of the Facebook profile, okay? <laughs> so that's not the whole story. Uh, so probably there are more lasting love relationships started on the internet than those that start face-to-face uh, -face and you immediately realize what's going on. <laughs> Of course, I have no problem. The okay. bureaucracy is the problem. Bureaucracy is the problem here. Um, okay, one here, one there, and then a third one, and then we have to finish here. Yes. Um, hi, I'm Marina from the Ukraine and Germany PhD student. Um, you described how social movements are local and global at the same time when you spoke about flows and places and the creation of a new public. So I'm wondering why you didn't use the word cosmopolitan. So, sorry, what? I'm wondering why you didn't use the notion of cosmopolitanism when you spoke about how social oh, movements are global and local. Okay. And then over there, the gentleman in the white jacket. And then there was a third one over. Uh, hello, Professor. I'm uh, Fred from LSE. Uh, actually, you did mention about the social movements, uh, the characteristics of social movement in the age of internet. It seems to me that uh, the people participating that they don't really have a clear cut uh, goal or in specific, and the goal is not really workable. Given this dynamic between the the movements and the regime, so what's your prediction as for how this kind of movement could end up? And then the third question, I promised somebody over there. Yep. We can see you. Sorry. <laughs> um, hi, uh, my name is Mohammed. I'm a postgraduate student at the LSE. Um, so I agree with you uh, that you said uh, that there is no internet governance and the internet is a free, pl free place where everyone uh, can express freely. Um, however, one of uh, the ways for governments to control and suppress um, social movements is by um, having re creating regulations for internet service providers to restrict access for users. So how do you think that's going to affect the impact of uh, the internet and the social media um, in terms of social um, movements and restricting them? Thank you very much. Thank you. So cosmopolitanism, uh, yeah, cosmopolitanism is, is a kind of political philosophy uh, which um, uh, which in practice, I, in, in terms of explicit terms, I have not seen present in the movements. Um, which doesn't mean that it would not apply, but uh, my methodology to study social movements is to take social movements at their face value. They are what they say they are. So if they don't say that they are cosmopolitan, I would not say they are implicitly cosmopolitan. But we have a long and damaging intellectual tradition analysis in terms of false consciousness. Now, oh, you don't know, but you are a working class person who will fight for socialism. Uh, 
I know, because I, I did my PhD at LSE and they told me. Uh, so, no, seriously speaking, uh, I would think uh, what you say, I think is very reasonable. Uh, cosmopolitan is the notion that uh, we are all citizens of the world and therefore we should have a human kind that is governed in harmony, etc., etc. Well, the whole back cover my stuff. Uh, but, um, uh, no, no, it's very interesting. My, I constantly talk to Beck, um, and the issue is uh, where you find it, uh, because it, in terms of how people uh, represent themselves, less than 2% of people in Europe consider themselves primarily citizens of the world. Um, but so, and that's why I say movements are local and global, which is not exactly cosmopolitanism. Cosmopolitanism is global. So people develop their own demands, their own society. They are in fact trying to change their own political system, trying to bring under control their own financial system, and then they are conscious that other people have similar problems and they connect. So I would say the, the, the global local image appears to be functionally more directly ex, uh, expressed in this. But rather than call it cosmopolitanism, um, I, 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 I'm calling this moment for the time being alternative uh, cultures of life. People want to live differently, differently, not just to be in the world. They want to be in a different world. They are trying to change their lives starting by changing the political system, etc., but they are trying to change their life. Bureaucracy is coming fast. So the, um, the social movements have no goals or they are not workable. Uh, well, they do have goals. They do have goals, um, but they, they don't want to make it into a political party. Look, uh, I can give you an, a personal example. The Spanish Indianapolis movement, one of the commissions, uh, asked me if I could help to draft a proposal for the political reform of the entire Spanish political system, uh, which I did in combination with other friends and, 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 and people there. Uh, we, we present it in an assembly, then it's in the internet, people are debating it. So this is not a goal in the sense that no one is going to vote for this in the parliament, but one of the small parties in, in Catalonia uh, was elected on the promise that they were going to fight in the parliament to defend such a political reform system. So there are goals. and. Uh, but predicting, predicting, I'm not going to predict because I never predict, but I can give you uh, my, my hunch feeling in terms of what's happening. This is not going away. This is not going away because the causes are too deep. The outrage is too big. And there are no other channels to express anything. All political parties are rejected completely. Uh, the crisis is there. The, the, the arrogance of finance is so, so deep, and the euro is disintegrated, uh, literally disintegrated. Um, so I would say that if some increasingly more and poor people think, including myself, that the two-level euros, which actually means no euro, um, um, occurs in the short term, will be such a complete realignment of the economies, of the institutions, etc., both in each country and in Europe at large, 
that is going to be an emergency situation, a crisis, an institutional crisis situation as a result of a semi-catastrophic crisis linked to the end of the euro. If such is the case, uh, the only currently network structure in which people are reflecting, thinking, mobilized, ready to take on social change is this network of social movements. Increasingly supported, slowly, but increasingly, by the trade unions. In the United States, it's already clearly the case the trade unions are seeing the movement as a possibility for them to go out of the ghetto. And in Europe, they start thinking about it, particularly in Italy, in Spain, uh, they are moving into that direction. And finally, government control on internet providers and regulation, you're absolutely right. L look, let's make it simple. Governments hate the internet. I have been in endless commissions, uh, United Nations, government commissions, European commissions, and the first question in every commission I have been is how can we control the internet? For obvious reasons, because governments are about control, first of all. So, and they know that is one very important thing. They don't have these epistemological discussions we have about uh, is the technology not there. They know they have lost the control of information and communication. They know, they know, they know that. That's extremely serious for a government. Extremely serious. This is the source of power. If they lose that, they only get the police. That's it. Uh, the television they know is being bypassed uh, in the young generation. So the control of the internet becomes critical. And there you're absolutely right. This is not easy. There are constant regulations. There are constant attempts to constrain the freedom of expression in the internet. And it's a battle. It's a battle. It's a socio-political battle. It's an institutional battle. In the United States, Clinton already tried to uh, establish censorship on the internet using the same argument, always, uh, child pornography. And uh, um, the United States uh, Court of Federal Court of Appeals struck it down, the whole sentence, uh, the, the, the whole law, uh, that was called the Commun Communication Decency Act, with one sentence that has become jurisprudence, and I really like it. Um, usually I don't think it's very poetic, uh, jurisprudence from the Supreme Court, but in this case, I really like it. It says at the end, yes, internet is chaos, but citizens have a constitutional right to chaos. <laughs> I kind of like that. Okay, um, I'm afraid uh, we have to um, finish here, but I have three announcements before you leave. First, there is a party, um, and you are all welcome, and it's in, um, you just, you know, um, I think it's in the area um, up there. Um, and B, there will be a book sale and, and signing after. And to be able to do these two things, the organizers have asked me that could you please remain seated, seated until the speaker has left the auditorium so that he would be there waiting for you when you... For a while, there. for a while, not forever. Not forever. So could we um, thank Professor Castell for this... <laughs>